안녕하세요. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hey, hello. So as you can see, Megan has not moved to the United Kingdom, but we do have a special guest tonight who will be taking her place on the pod. So we have friend of the pod, Sarah. Would you like to quickly introduce yourself for those who may not have heard other collaborations you've done with us? Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah. I uh, post on social media at Drama This. I'm a patron of the pod big fan and i've done a, a couple of guest podcast episodes they've been the most fun ever so i'm really delighted to be here again and if you can't tell from my accent i'm a brit so it's now currently 11 o'clock at night in cambridge uk where i'm based but it's fine because i'm actually a night owl and this is uh, my time when everybody else goes to sleep and when i normally catch up on k-drama time so this is perfect for me hello everyone well, we are so happy to have you with us. And just one more time, your social media handle is Kdrama This, and you are active both on Instagram and Twitter, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And has lots of great insights on dramas that we all know and love or don't love. <laughs> <laughs> because we all feel differently about a lot of dramas, and that's okay. Indeed. So first off, happy September, because I will not be belaboring the weather anymore. <laughs> I will not talk, although in fact, I will talk about the fact that California is going through a heat wave. And Amy asked the question, I don't have answers to this question. Why do we not have air conditioning in the Bay Area? I think it's because historically, it doesn't get very hot. So now with uh, climate change, it's getting hot all the time. I am in 97 <laughs> degrees right now with no air, just dripping sweat. And I'm curious, Sarah, for the UK, is this a phenomenon that you're seeing too, where you've been in a normally temperate climate and all of a sudden, what the hell? Yeah, so we've had the hottest temperature broken all records this year. We got up to, um, so the rest of the world doesn't use Fahrenheit. You know that, right? So we're on 40, <laughs> 40 degrees Celsius here. Yeah. It got as high as, and um, so it's so warm. And same thing, our our houses are built to keep us warm in British winters. They are not built to keep us cool. And we definitely, definitely do not have aircon. Um, so yeah, we were absolutely all wilting. It's now getting nice and temperate and comfortable. So we're having one of those Indian summers um, here, which are really lovely. So it's really nice and bright, and but it's not super hot. And then here in the Midwest, we just love our air conditioners <laughs> and our furnaces. Like, we've got it all. But yeah, I do apologize about the metric system. I am married to someone who does use the metric system. I try very hard to... I am not bad at doing the weather. So I'd say it's about 37. Ah. I can do kilos. Not bad. Like, I can convert those into my head. Fine. But when we get to meters, I just get screwed. Yeah. Like, you know, I am constantly... I mean, I get it. And I just can't really do that very well. And um, the one that I really am like completely gone about, because kilometers I can do, is hectares. I don't know if you talk about hectares much in your life. For some reason, my husband talks about hectares okay, a lot. Yeah. And I'm always like, no, no I idea. Know. So Brits, are, we're kind of screwed up, right? So our, con our continental cousins are in, they're full metric. 
but we are in this weird oh, world God. where we do <laughs> some so our weight is in stones and pounds our distances okay. are in miles our temperature as you know is in celsius um we still serve <laughs> drinks in pints so yeah we're a bit screwed up there was this flow chart that went around the internet uh, on how brits measure things and it was just literally like is this weight then you do this is it distance then you do this and yeah it's screwed so are you buying things in liters or gallons we so if it's a if it's milk we buy them in pints but then if okay. it's like a juice a pint, a pint of, of milk? milk yeah a pint or two is it tiny uh, a pint of milk yes yeah, it's, it's a small that's like the smallest container that you could uh, that you could buy but generally you'd buy two or four pints of milk but then you wouldn't buy a pint of juice we don't sell them in so those would come in liter bottles yeah we're, we're kind of screwy wait 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 just to go back to the milk to, i gotta get, finish the milk thing so if you go to get milk are you like hey honey can you please go get me four pints of yeah, milk absolutely and do they sell it in one con- like a container that is four pints yeah so at the supermarket you can pick up a pint two pints four pints or a six pint um we we are now getting a bit you know green so you now can begin to go retro and get milk delivered and it comes delivered in mm-hmm. pint glass milk bottles to the door which are then you return it back to the milkman and they re-sterilize and reuse it and then they use it again to deliver your milk but that comes in pints only like one pint at a time so if you needed four one pint you would need two so if you bottles. four you would yeah. have to yeah, yeah, yeah no four bottles so what do you do if you have like a child like my son who's 13 and can slam a pint standing at the kitchen <laughs> counter <laughs> do you just drink a lot less dairy because maybe we're just disgusting with like gallons of milk and my son's just like bathing in milk well it depends day. i mean i do have friends who can't like they can't just get 12 bottles of milk every day from the milkman or every i think the milkman comes twice a week so it's too much for them so then they okay. will order pint bottles glass sorry glass lead glass pint of milk but um they'll come in like a six liter so it'll be quite big six six pints sorry i'm confusing myself not six liters six pints <laughs> containers but it's all in pints you couldn't buy milk by the liter in the uk or the gallon that's Fascinating. yeah or the gallon so yeah. we in my house because we don't drink milk we just use it for cereal we get a half gallon and we don't even finish that in a week wow yeah Whereas at my house, we are going through a gallon of milk probably every other day. Wow. And a gallon is four liters. That's a lot of milk. <laughs> and I don't drink I don't drink it. It's mostly going into my son. Mostly going um, into and- your son. <laughs> <laughs> Who now is the tallest person in our family, which isn't like a great feat, but you know. <laughs> anyway, well, this was fascinating. Any other questions, Amy, about the um, quasi-metric system that the UK I has? I was just going to ask about filling up your car with, with gas or petrol. Like, is that in liters, gallons, pints? How many how many pints do you fill your car with? Well, I think that then there's a demographic <laughs> shift. So the older population would definitely fill their cars up in gallons. But maybe some of the younger generation begin to use liters. But... The price that you see when you pull into a petrol station here is generally in gallons. So that's how we would know. Like the price per gallon of petrol has gone up by X, Y, Z. Look, I'm impressed because I thought we were kind of a hot mess with the imperial system, but you're yeah. a way bigger hot yeah, mess. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's like Brexit and Trump, you know. So we have Brexit, you guys <laughs> had Trump. Like it's just, <laughs> I'm just screwed, but in different ways. Yeah. 
Thank you, though, for that history of uh, colonialism that pervades. Although, like, then, like, what, Canada and the Australia and New Zealand's like, no, we're just going to get on with the rest of the world and do metric. But if, you're, if your husband's using hectares, then he hasn't, right? Isn't that part of the metric system? I didn't think it was. Because acres is what I would use. Oh, okay. So maybe I'm just really screwed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, <laughs> at this point, I think it's safe to say we are all screwed, both with climate change and measurements. So, <laughs> and to segue from that, who can take us from where we are now to where we are going? Any segues? Oh, goodness. These are extraordinary times. Oh, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> you just did it. I did so it. go seamlessly. for it. What are we talking about today, Leah? All right. So tonight we are going to be doing Extraordinary Attorney Woo. Extraordinary Attorney Woo follows Woo Young Woo, played by Park Eun Bin, an autistic lawyer with a photographic memory that helps her succeed at a major law firm, Han Bada, as she also navigates social interactions and a budding romance. This drama's success has also been nothing short of extraordinary, landing on the Netflix Top 10 chart. The series was Netflix's most viewed title during the August 15th to 21st viewing window, racking up more hours viewed than even Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which was the most viewed title in the previous two weeks. So in South Korea, the drama started its first episode with a little 0.9% viewer rating on June 26th. It also aired on a minor cable channel, ENA, definitely one that's not considered one of the major broadcasting channels. So over the weeks, the drama rapidly gained popularity through word of mouth. According to Nielsen Korea, the final episode scored an average nationwide rating of 17.5%. So going from 0.9% to 17.5%, marking a new all-time high for the show and also the highest rated drama on ENA to date. Also, I think it's just interesting to note that Extraordinary Attorney Wu was also first placed in its time slot across all channels among the key demographic ages of viewers 20 to 49. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're initially going to be discussing this drama from a non-spoiler point of view. And then we're going to signal when we're overtly moving to the spoiler section. And also, I think it's really important to upfront acknowledge that this show has generated a great deal of online discussion. As you can see, it's a like kind of like the little drama that could, right? Like it started out small. It's gotten to be this like pretty big drama for 2022. And it has generated a lot of discussion in particular about autistic representation. So tonight, what we're going to be doing is more of a traditional afternoon deep dive of the show, where we're going to be talking about things like story structure, character arcs, and the writing and the choices that the writers made. And next week, we'll have a second half with Attorney Wu talking about um, neurodivergent representation with some autistic folks who've been unpacking the show on Twitter and really kind of deep diving what works and what doesn't work in terms of autistic representation on the show. So that's right, we're going to be spending the next two weeks going into the good and the bad of the drama that it feels like everyone has spent so much of the summer discussing. And, you know, don't worry, we're also going to be talking about Kong Tae-o, obviously, because, duh, Kong Tae-o. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So to kick off the non-spoiler section, what initially drew you both to watch the drama? Because while it has romantic elements at its heart, Extraordinary Attorney Woo is a legal drama. That means it tends to involve trials and focus on the emotion and tension within a court of law framework. And these are the kind of shows that can really have like a strong external conflict with high stakes, but also lend themselves to these really detailed character studies. So for me, 
Uh, I love Parking Bin and we, me and Leah, watched King's Affection and we did a deep dive on it together, which was good fun. And I know we loved her alpha gender swap lead role in that. And then recently I watched her in Do You Like Brahms, where she's a completely different character, shy and introverted with a very few words. So when I saw this trailer and she's yet again playing a totally different character, I was intrigued. However, um, we, um, my core family, so me, my two children and my, my husband, together we're a neurodivergent family. Um, although I myself am neurotypical, I'm very wary of how autism is generally portrayed in the media. And I didn't know if I'd end up really disliking it the way that it was handled. I didn't particularly like what I saw in the trailer, which I'll talk about later. But that said, K-dramas have generally handed autism well in the past. And I think the best portrayal for me on Western and Asian media is actually Oh Jung Se's character in It's Okay to Not Be Okay. So I thought maybe it would be all right. But then Atani Wu started getting so much love and comments and I got really bad FOMO and I had to check it out. And I was just sucked in from the first episode. So yeah, for me, it was initially FOMO because everybody was talking about this drama and I need to be a part of what everybody's talking about. (laughs) But really, I mean, Leah already mentioned it. It comes down to Kong Tao. Like when I found out, because I, I really didn't know anybody else in the drama very well. I've seen some of the other actors as, you know, sort of side characters and other things. But Kong Tao is the only reason that I finished Run On. And he is the biggest reason why I came to this drama. And Jun Ho did not disappoint. Okay, so legal dramas usually offer up these kind of like moral dilemmas to the audience. Just as an attorney presents their case to the jury, a good courtroom drama invests the audience deeper into the story by inviting them to also kind of serve themselves as a judge or jury at home. Like, how would we all rule on the cases that we're watching? How do we view the crimes? And all of this kind of lets the viewer invest and really make more of an emotional connection. So, you know, Sarah and Amy, are you normally a fan of legal or courtroom dramas? Why or why not? So if you asked me this in the past, I'd have said, I don't think I do. But then during lockdown, COVID, I binged an entire nine seasons of Suits, had a slightly problematic crush on Alpha Hole Harvey Specter. So now I can't deny that I do actually quite like them. I'm also a fan of um, smart people doing fast, smart talking generally, like kind of an Aaron Sorkin drama. Mm -hmm. and the west wing is probably still my favorite drama of all time so legal dramas give me that as well as the problem of the case usually an emotional backstory to it and then this dramatic wrap-up of how will it all pan out um so yeah i've discovered that actually i do quite like legal dramas to my surprise (laughs) yeah you know you wouldn't think that i was a huge fan based on what i've been watching on television for like the past I'd say 15 to 20 years but then I go back a little bit further in my teen years when you basically watched network tv unless you were watching tv in the family room which is the one with cable in my house because yes I I had a television in my bedroom so I watched everything from like the sitcom night court to LA law Uh, when I graduated from books for kids to books for teens which there really wasn't a ton of back in like the early 90s I got super into John Grisham's early novels like The Firm and The Pelican Brief, A Time to Kill. And then a few years ago, a colleague who knew I loved audiobooks recommended a book she just listened to, which was, it's called The Verdict by Nick Stone. And if you look it up on Audible, it's a 21-hour listen. And it didn't take place all in the courtroom, but it was definitely a lot of lawyering. And I loved it. Ditto for the book Defending Jacob by William Landay. That story was 100% courtroom. But it also like 
both both of these books dealt with murder. So maybe it's murder <laughs> stories that I didn't realize I liked. And there's not a lot of murdering in Attorney Wu. No. <laughs> no, there's not. There's not. Just to put that out there, it's not a murder court show. And I'm just going to add because Megan kind of never connected fully with a drama that I really love, which is Hospital Playlist. Because she was like, there's just too many surgeries. I'm over it. Whereas I was like, I don't feel like there's too many surgeries. I could watch these surgeries all day. I will say, I didn't think I liked legal dramas. And in this case, I was proven right. I don't <laughs> like legal dramas. When we get to the courtroom, I am just done. Like, I don't know what it is because I should like fast talking. I like moral, like kind of wrestling but there's something about you get me in a law, like a courtroom and make me watch it. <laughs> and I don't know. I just, I try my best, but it's not my happy place. So I kind of had the first inkling of how Megan must feel watching surgeries. And <laughs> I was like, how do you not like it? It's so compelling. And then I mean, so many liver surgeries. For, for I real. could watch liver surgeries on hospital playlists day in, day out. <laughs> I'm not complaining because I loved Hospital Playlist, but I, I, I can see where she's coming from and I can see where you're coming from too. I totally dug the surgeries and the courtroom. So I'm here for all of it. Well, given that, you know, I'm kind of the wet blanket when it comes to, and I mean, like, look, that's just my personal taste. Like there's absolute reasons why this drama set so much in the courtroom. So, you know, I'm going to recuse myself from answering this question, <laughs> but say, is there a certain case in Extraordinary Attorney Wu that really resonated with you? And if so, what is it without big spoilers? And what kind of reaction did you have to the case? So for me, one of the early cases was an, an autistic man who was accused of killing his brother. Um, and I won't go too much into it. The backstory was actually really harrowing. And whilst there are aspects to the handling of the autism in this episode that I didn't like, I actually thought the drama did a really good job via the family of, of uh, the two brothers and via Young Woo's handling of the case to flesh out some of the more realistic aspects of autism. So I remember at one point the mum says to her, most autistic people are like my son. They're not like you, meaning her, that is to say, a savant, someone with photographic memory, highly articulate, etc. And I thought that was a really important point to make, especially because this is a drama where the lead is a quite stereotypically portrayed, very highly articulate and clever autistic person. I think it also made the point that autism can look very different in every autistic person, so that even though uh, she was autistic as a lawyer and he was autistic uh, as a client, it doesn't mean that they automatically connected and understood each other or that they were in any way similar. And, you know, that old adage holds true that if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And I think they did a really good job mm. of, of highlighting that. that. That's a really great example of that. For me, it was another earlier episode. It was the wedding dress case. And to give some non-spoilery background on the wedding dress case, there was a wedding that happened. And when the bride and the groom were walking down the aisle, her dress basically came off. <laughs> and uh, it was a big scandal. She had this big, you know, tattoo. It wasn't even the tattoo that was the huge scandal. I mean, it was part of it, but it was just her dress came off and the she entire was naked. wedding saw her. <laughs> yeah, the whole, way, the whole wedding saw her boobies. The whole wedding saw her dressless. So the case was about basically like suing the wedding, you know, the the hotel and the wedding planners there that they somehow like gave her a faulty dress. And there's a lot that goes into it. But the outcome of that has nothing to do with the dress. And I won't spoil it because I, I really like the outcome of this episode. 
But what this episode showed me early on is that even if it was going to be clunky at times, that Extraordinary Attorney Wu was going to try to represent characters that don't get a lot of representation. And this was an example of that. And I was happy the way that it ended. And I thought it was well done, but I won't spoil it. Especially, I mean, this is not, this has nothing to do with the actual case, but like there is a scene where Young Woo and Jun Ho have to investigate. And in doing so, they pretend like they're getting married and she has to try on a wedding dress. And I mean, I screen capped Jun Ho looking at her in this wedding dress. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. This earnest look on this man's face. Yeah. Good stuff. He does a really good melty look. I think I saw that. I think I saw that clip before I started the drama and it was just everywhere. Everyone had clipped that clip of him just looking really melty. And it is obviously a bit of a K-drama cliche because, you know, like um, Gong Yu does a good one in Goblin. There's a really good one (laughs) in Strong Woman, Do Bong Soon. And so it's just the kind of cliche where the K-drama male lead just gets a bit whacked by how amazing they look in their wedding dresses. Um, But I thought it was really cute Mm. that they did it in this fake date early episode. Yes. So Sarah, as you've already mentioned, you have a neurodivergent family. How did the role of Wu Young Wu's father resonate with you while watching the drama? Thank you so much for this question. So just firstly, I want to say how great it is that you're doing a second pod with hashtag own voices on this drama, because while aspects of this drama were problematic for me, from the point of view of our neurodivergent family, on the whole, I'm really glad this drama has provoked discussion of autism. And it's great that we're going to hear what autistic people themselves thought of this drama. So for me, as I said, I'm neurotypical, uh, and I do not speak for the autism community or anyone else but myself. But I just wanted to highlight that uh, some kind of key aspects. So generally, one of the key problematic aspects of the way autism is seen is this concept that it's curable. So actually, I understand it's a much bigger issue in the US than it is in the UK. But in the US, ABA, which is Applied Behaviour Analysis, is widely pushed on autistic people by professionals and by organisations like Autism Speaks. And they're pushed on them from a very young age. And basically, it's saying we can just train autistic people in the right way to act in the right way so we can cure them. And they, too, can be neurotypical, e.g. normal. So what we have now is generations of autistic people who've been subjected to ABA through their early years and can now actually speak on how it's affected them. And it's basically abuse and has caused them lifelong trauma. All their life, they were made to behave and be someone they weren't and who they really were was actually seen as undesirable and had to be ironed out. And it's also why for me, the terminology on autism is really important. Um, So the vast majority of autistic people prefer to use what we call identity first language. So they are autistic people. They're not people with autism or someone that has autism, which is an example of person first language. So this suggests person verse language suggests that they could drop this part of them if they wish to do so. But really, it's an inseparable part of who they are. And it can't be trained out of you or cured out of you. Just as I am a Chinese woman, I'm not a person with Chinese and female characteristics. And also many autistic people also dislike the term Asperger's. And as we're told in this drama, Asperger was actually a Nazi who identified autistic people for eugenic schemes run by the Nazis. And they make this point in the drama, which is great, thumbs up. But then Young Wu uses it to describe herself. 
thumbs down. The drama also tends to use person with autism as well. It's also a functioning label. It's generally used uh, to describe someone who's high functioning, uh, which is also problematic. But hopefully you guys will cover that next week with uh, your autism pod. Then the third term also used in the drama is ASD, so autism spectrum disorder. And again, here, many autistic people don't like that term as they don't consider autism a disorder. They are not disordered. They just have a different neurotype. So, sorry, this is such a long, kind of a long-winded way to explain this question, but I hope it gives some background to say why I found parts of Dad's portrayal a bit problematic. So in the trailer, it's others who say these words, but early in the drama, we hear... Dad is schooling young Wu on how to basically not be so autistic. So she's told to not be too blunt, to not repeat what others say, which is echolalia, don't be weird, don't talk about whales. And this is evidently a speech he's given her over and over again because she repeats it, you know, as soon as he says it. But imagine if a drama mm -hmm. features a dad telling his son how to be less gay or someone else to be less Jewish. They'd be portrayed as a bad dad, right? And they'd be outraged. But we've somehow normalized it as being okay to tell someone who's autistic to be less autistic. So he's basically telling her to act neurotypical. And this is actually what most or many autistic people end up doing. And it's called masking. And it's exhausting for them. So um, it's a very common effect, example, in school children who mask the whole day. So, for example, they stop themselves from saying things. They have sensory issues. They force themselves to get over. They force themselves to make eye contact or to bear physical touch. And it's like shaking a Coke bottle. Each of these episodes shakes their bottle. And by the time they get home in a safe environment, they explode. So parents and loved ones see this, but school or workplaces often don't. And it's especially problematic in girls who are better at masking. And it actually might be one of the reasons why there seems to be more autistic males than there are females. It actually could be that they are equal amounts. It's just that girls are much better at masking. And you can imagine that year in, year out, this masking is deeply, deeply damaging. And this is the message he's giving her. Go to work, but mask. Don't be yourself. You won't succeed or fit in unless you mask. And obviously, what we really need to be doing is celebrating neurodiversity rather than subscribe to this damaging notion that neurodiverse people can be trained to be neurotypical. And actually, um, Grace, who's also a friend of the pod, pointed out that the Korean title of Extraordinary Attorney Wu, Extraordinary, is actually um, translated as weird in uh, Korean, which is uh, obviously not so great. I also found it a little bit problematic how the drama made us feel a bit sorry for him because he's a single dad raising an autistic child. And there's a little bit of victim mentality for him on there. Like, this is poor dad. He's got an autistic daughter. How hard he's got it because he's got this burden and he's had to bear this weight. And this is kind of slightly suggests that autistic people are burdened, that they're a weight on society. I think, thankfully, the drama does a lot to outweigh these impressions. But for me, the hint of them is still is still there. However, having said all of that, I do really love many aspects of dad because he does let her be her. He doesn't force her to communicate when she doesn't want to. He doesn't force her to eat anything other than gimbap. Um, he obviously allowed her special interest in whales to flourish. And the scenes of him raising the younger, non-speaking Yulnu was really, really touching. And obviously she turned out to be such an amazing person. So he, he did a great job bringing her up. Thank you for all of that. And for kind of like, you know, 
being able to open up and share a little bit of your personal experiences too, because I do think that it helps give context to many folks who are listening who, you know, are coming from more of watching the show through a neurotypical lens living in a neurotypical family. And so yeah, I think it is important to hear both from families who have autistic people in it. And then like next week, when we're going to try to um, talk to some folks who can speak more from their lived experiences as well. So thank you. You're welcome. It's really it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I love that this drama has given a platform for this discussion. And then kind of going more towards like a literary lens for the next question, Amy, in the drama, Wu Young Woo loves whales. They're her special interest and whales do play a recurring theme in the story. So could you describe what a motif means in literature and what you think of the whale motif in the drama overall? So a motif is basically something that's repeated, like a repeated idea or imagery that's carried out along, you know, the entirety of a storyline. And it often has some symbolism attached to it, as I think it does a little bit, you know, with whales and sometimes dolphins too, in Extraordinary Attorney Woo. I don't like calling it Extraordinary Attorney Woo now that I know what extraordinary means. <laughs> That's a bummer. So first, on some quick research, I found that Bada, uh, you know, Han Bada Law Firm, means ocean, translates to ocean. So with this, like, connection... Maybe it can be seen as, you know, Young Woo obviously relates to a lot of situations that happen with whales. Like that's how she gets a lot of her ideas to get the whole team like out of the corner that they've like, you know, trapped themselves in with trying to win a case. But I think also she is, you know, venturing off into sort of this unknown, right? She has her first job at a law firm. She's meeting all of these new people. Uh, one of the things I was reading, because of course I did a little bit of whale research, <laughs> is that whales, I, I, you know, I've got to say like the writer for the drama obviously did a ton of whale research for this, unless they are a whale aficionado. But so most whales live in pods of two or three, which is basically like the female, the male and the calf. But there are some humpback whales that live alone for most of the time, except for when they need to mate or eat. So there can be this sort of solitariness, I guess you could say, for some whales, which kind of embodies Young Woo as this sort of fish out of water in a new world. But of course, she's, you know, extraordinary and brilliant and fits right in and gets the job done. Because, you know, as Sarah was telling us before, being neurodivergent does not mean that you are any less capable of doing the job that everybody else is doing. Another thing, going with what Sarah was just talking about with masking, what I loved about the whales, everybody's telling her not to talk about whales. Her father, so Yun tells her not to talk about whales that, you know, nobody wants to listen to her. But guess what? Junho does. Yeah. Junho does not tell her to be somebody she's not. He makes a lunch date with her every day. This is not a spoiler. This is just something that happens really early on in the drama. But he does not have her mask. He has her talk about what makes her happy and what makes her comfortable. And talking about whales is how she connects with him. It's how she connects with people is being able to spread the joy of something that she loves. And who doesn't like doing that? Like I get excited about vacuums. <laughs> Leah does not. But sometimes she indulges me and lets me talk about them. And so if I want to talk about vacuums, I'm going to talk about vacuums. And if Young Woo wants to talk about whales, then God damn it, she's going to talk about whales. <laughs> Fair enough. Although I'd rather listen to whale talk <laughs> than vacuum talk. <laughs> 
So, Sarah, for anyone who's listening, who's on the fence trying to decide, is this drama going to be for them or not? You know, who will like the drama and who might want to steer clear? Uh, well, I think clearly everyone loved this drama. <laughs> so many, so many people like this drama. So it's obviously got very wide appeal. Um, I mean, I'll talk about more of this in the spoiler section, but I actually think this drama doesn't stand up to scrutiny on many different aspects and it's flawed in, in different ways. But overall, it's just such a charming drama. The cast, the lovely warm feel it gives you that you end up forgiving many many of its flaws that you wouldn't give you wouldn't forgive in other dramas i guess in terms of steering clear uh i mean like i said i think even for me i think it's been unexpectedly popular really uh and obviously it's really touched people in a way that i don't even know if we can properly articulate or explain but in terms of steering clear maybe those who don't want to see what i would consider quite a typical neurotypical view of autism portrayed or people who might find the rather kind of skim deep way they dealt with quite big social issues a bit disappointing but yeah like i said it it seems that lots of people really love this drama so i would just say if you're thinking of starting it just give it a go and the first drama first episode is a really good indicator of how the rest of it unfolds so if it, it charms you as much as it charms me i think you'll be in from episode one So we're going to discuss the good and bad of the writing in the spoiler section very soon. But um, something that is not a spoiler is the fact that this cast truly did act their socks off. So who is an actor that you've seen in another drama? And what did you think of them in Attorney Wu? I mean, (laughs) I think it's already obvious that I'm going to say Kong Tao, since he's the one that I knew the most of before this drama. I didn't love Run On, and it's not because it was a bad drama, but it was a quiet drama, and it was too quiet for me, and that's okay. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't up my alley. But I loved Kang Tao and Su Young's storyline. His smile just knocked me out. There is a scene where he jumps in a pool fully clothed to save her bracelet that falls off in the pool. Like, I'll never forget that. And then there's a scene later in the drama. They're they're the secondary romance. And there's a scene later in the drama where she makes him upset. And he's like, inconsolable crying. And it is like, at the same time, like, very comedic, because it is over the top sobbing. And she's just standing there like, do you can like, can I do something for you? Like, it's it's really funny, but then it's also, because he's so earnest and endearing, it's also just lovely. So I was thrilled when I saw that he was the love interest in Attorney Wu, and in episode one, with the revolving door waltz that I'll get to <laughs> later, I knew, I knew that I was going to be a goner. That's a good pick. Um, but I'm going to go for a, a Kang, but a different Kang, so I'm going to go for Kang Ki-young, who plays um, Young Wu's boss, Myun Suk. And I really loved him in this drama. I'm actually more of a Kang Ki-young stan in this drama than I am Kang Tao. I'm a similar age to Amy, so my floor is around her level two. <laughs> so Kang Tao, can I just point out, <laughs> it's actually technically below my floor. But Kang Ki-young definitely isn't at 38. And I've seen and I've loved him in dramas like Weightlifting Kim Bok-ju, and he was also in What's Wrong with Secretary Kim. And in both of those, he gets like a mini little romantic arc, but he's really definitely there for the comedy. Whereas here, I felt like this was the first drama I saw him play more of a straight man role and we got some real emotion 
out in the latter half of the drama. And there's a scene towards the end, which is not a spoiler, where he's really choking back the tears in the back of the car. And I was like, oh, my heart. So if, like me, you are a fellow Kankyung uh, stan, do check out the Esquire Career September 2022 edition, where he's looking a little bit fine. And there are plenty of... Um, Twitter um, kind of montages of the video, uh, the photo shoots that he did for that magazine. So check them out. I'm definitely looking that up. He is surprisingly <laughs> fine. And I think it's a combination of he has two things that I weirdly have like realized through K-drama that I like. So one is glasses. <laughs> when he wears glasses, I'm in. <laughs> Apparently, I really love a man in gla- with glasses. And he also has a very big mouth. <laughs> and I really apparently like men who have very big mouths. <laughs> <laughs> and whose surnames are Kong. Yeah, whose surnames are Kong. Because, um, yeah, Kong Han Nul is my ultimate K-drama bias. Also Kong, also giant mouth. <laughs> so, you know, coincidence? I think not. And I'm just going to say that for me, I this is kind of a boring answer, but it's a true answer, which is as much as I love these two men that you mentioned, and they were definitely like the cherries on the Sunday for me, I decided to go for it because I loved so much Pak Bin in The King's Affection. I felt like that drama could have been utterly ridiculous. And she sold that role so well of playing that hidden gender trope. And Sarah and I did do a whole podcast on The King's Affection. But really, I just thought that her acting was extraordinary which I didn't even mean to use that word in conjunction with this drama. But I was curious. It made me curious once I started hearing good buzz to try it because I had enjoyed her so much seeing her in The King's Affection. Okay, so here is I'm going to ask the question and then I just want to I got to make a comment. So, okay, I have a, I like to ask hard questions. And in this case, I actually thought I was being courteous to our friend across the pond by using a phrase that I believe to be an English phrase. But the joke was on me because apparently no one knew what this word meant, except for me. I was so, like, Leah's is being this extra was... again. No, no, this is like a... Okay, so. Kong Tae-o and ro both have played romantic leads against Lucky Lucky Pak Eun-bin. So which of these actors would you rather Pash and you can only choose one? And Pash to me, I thought was like a British-ism. So I was like, oh, I'm going to give Sarah a little courtesy, like, you know, lingo. And then both her and Amy responded like, what does this word even mean? I was like, well, sorry. I was like, do I have to go to like Urban Dictionary to find this? Like, what is it? It means kiss. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So kiss. Who would you rather kiss? Basically, all I want to know is who are you lip locking with in your fantasy life? Is it Kong Tao or Ro Un? <laughs> so, you know, speaking of age floors, my the reason why mine dropped so freaking low is because I watched tomorrow <laughs> and there's this man, Ro Un, who's 25. He's now 26. He's, he's, gone up, he's gone up a year. He's 26 now. Is he 26 in Korean <laughs> or international? I, I just got it on Google. So whatever, however Google counts its years, he's 26. You know, I just, I just like that Korean age <laughs> because it makes me feel less bad about myself. <laughs> well, either, I mean, either way, I'm a dirty Ajima, so it doesn't matter. But you know what? Like, I love Ruun 
in tomorrow, but it wasn't a romantic role. So I haven't seen him like as a romantic lead like you two have in The King's Affection. So that being said, like when I saw that, you know, Kang Teo was going to be Jun Ho, after episode one, I was basically writhing in romantic delight. And now after seeing his GQ spread, like talk about, you know, magazine spreads here. Yeah, this dirty Ajumal is going to go for Kang Teo. <laughs> So for me, thank you for using what potentially might be a British term, but just you're talking to an Ajuma who's not hanging with the kids. And I don't have teenage kids. I have like young <laughs> kids. So it might be that fellow Brits, you know, in a different age demographic are like, come on, granny. Like we totally know what Pash means. But yeah, apparently <laughs> Urban Dictionary is a long, all-encompassing kiss. Anyway. I feel like I'm um, getting the full podcast experience by having a typically evil Leah question, um, and this is pretty evil. So Ruin is, as Amy said, even further below my floor, but I did <laughs> love his little puppy dog beta hero in King's Affection, and I'm currently actually watching and loving him in Tomorrow. But probably for me, it's Kang Teo. I watched this silly subway ad he did because obviously it had to be freaking subway um and he is just so cute <laughs> in it like he plays himself serving himself but like different versions of himself as customers and it's just it's just, you have to look, look it up it's so cute so yeah kang Teo for me too but it's an evil question oh my god i need to see this i need to see this commercial so i'm gonna answer my evil question and i'm gonna say look if I'm going to burn in hell, I'm going to just burn in hell. So Rowoon, come to, come to Ajuma. Posh me. Posh me. And like, I'm going for it because like Kong Teo, whew, I'm going to let him season though, as much as I love him in the military. Oh God. I, because I don't even know what I'm going to do. Soon. I don't know what I'm going to do when it comes so back from the military. His military glow up is going to be significantly amazing. So say what you want about, you know, mandatory military enlistment. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other pod. But there is no doubt that certain actors go to the military looking very fetching and they leave a whole <laughs> ass new man. <laughs> and I believe that is going to be the fate of Kong Tae Oh, much like my Bay Kong Han had happened to him. But yeah, I saw Rowoon in King's Affection where he is a romantic lead. And oh God, I mean, like amazing, truly amazing as a romantic lead. So Kong Tae Oh, I mean, it's a very hard choice, but you know, I just figured... If I'm going to burn in hell, I'm just going to the floor that's, you know. You're going in, into the basement. Yeah, I'm going into the sex dungeon of moral complications. All right. Well, now is our favorite segment of the show, our K-pop wreck of the week. And Leah, do you have something for us this week? I do. And I want to see if Megan actually listens to the show because I'm going to call out Megan. <laughs> and I'm not going to mention it to her unless she hears it and brings it up, which is I'm going to do our very first Blackpink wreck of the week. And I'm not saying that Megan doesn't like Blackpink. That's not true. But I will say that Megan, it's like, you know, they're not the fave. And I like Blackpink. So they have a new song, Pink Venom, that I'm going to make as the wreck of the week. And I just want to say a couple things about Blackpink because they're about to have their comeback. And I think that they're kind of fascinating because they're new, like pretty new-ish. Like, you know, they came out in 2016. So it's not like they've been around for like a super long time. But in those six years, first they've been on hiatus for two years. So no music has been coming out from them for two years. They've done some of their solos that have done quite well. But, you know, in the period of time that they've been putting music out, they've released no more than 30 songs. That's like 
fuck all basically for how big they are and so i just think that that's pretty fascinating only 30 songs they've got a new album that's about to come out there's only eight songs on that and one is pink venom and you know it's released to mixed results i will say the first time i heard it i was like i feel like this is a song i need to hear a few times before i make up my mind and i've landed on liking it i think it's a fun song it's not my absolute favorite of theirs but i feel like it's a strong song and other people feel like it was kind of made for TikTok. So whatever you take. But look, I, I really do. I like Blackpink. I think that they are fun, sexy, their music is catchy. And yeah, I mean, look, I guess I'm basic because, you know, whatever. So take that, Megan, as you want to see it. And my rec this week was Blackpink, Pink Venom. <laughs> Nothing basic about liking what you like. That's right. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, up your skin with k Rex. find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback and hey while you're at it why don't you pop over to spotify or apple podcasts and leave us a five-star review it really helps with our discoverability and now we are going to be moving on to the spoiler section so on the website the review geek Greg Wheeler has this to say about Extraordinary Attorney Wu. The widespread appeal is both a positive and negative for this drama. On the one hand, more eyeballs on a project is never a bad thing. On the other hand, that added pressure and expectation to deliver, especially during the latter episodes of filming under such good reception, can sometimes make or break a series. And unfortunately, that feels like the case for this one. Don't get me wrong, Attorney Wu is a fun watch, but the bubbling subplots, working alongside the different cases each week, eventually peter out and collapse with some unresolved conflicts in a rather rushed final few chapters to try to wrap everything up in a neat little bow. So Sarah, do you agree or disagree with this as a viewer? Yeah, I think it's a really great summary. So yeah, on the one hand, as I've said, I'm really happy that an autistic woman is the main lead of a mainstream drama and she gets to have a love life. And that alone is to be celebrated. But as I've said already, I think the drama is a bit flawed. Um, and I think they tried to pack too much in. And that's why we get this kind of um, dropped subplot uh, thing that Greg mentions. Um, and there are some huge social themes here, like just picking two out, the pressure cooker Korean schooling environment or the sexual assault of an intellectually disabled woman. And the show can only do the most superficial handling of it. We also have a lot of undeveloped side characters. Like I loved her best friend, Grammy, for example, and everyone on TikTok is doing their greeting to each other. But actually, mm. she didn't get her own real story. She was just kind of a slight plot device. 
Um, totally. Um, Absolutely. We, that whole restaurant, nobody even came to the restaurant. I know. Empty restaurant. <laughs> I know. And actually, I quite liked their little kind of that little mini thing of her and the boss. And But it was all just a bit. I mean, I, I really love their backstory. I actually liked their flashback to their schools because I thought that the school way of handling um, her autism and, and the bullying that she suffered was was really, I think they must have spoken to people who, who basically lived that life, you know, people who went and sought out teachers and things rather than hung around to get bullied. But anyway, I think it was all a bit just jammed in. And then and then the reason they all went to Jeju, like WTF, and then the slightly old school plotting of the two CEOs of the law firm, and then the introduction of the autistic half-brother. I mean, this just so many different threads it's like they were so ambitious with what they wanted to say in this drama um and they really i think packed too much in but like just to kind of add on to that so i read an article where the writer for attorney Wu, moon ji wan basically apologized to viewers for the late sort of like act three romance smushing together between suyun and min Wu because many thought it came out of nowhere i'd agree but what the writer said what moon said was that they wanted Min Woo to have a redemption arc and not be the villain he was earlier, but there wasn't enough time to give him that full arc. And from like a writer's perspective, I get it. You're ambitious. You have all these things that you want to do, but then it comes down to time crunch and you're like, well, I've just got to sprinkle everything in like right now. And then what we lose is backstory and character development. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that that is really the, I think there was a strong start in many ways, even if it, you know, had, you know, some of the problems that have been touched on and that we'll be getting into next week. But in that second half, I thought the plot just got away from itself. So, okay, something that I know everyone watching had some sort of a reaction to was Kong Tae-oh's portrayal of Lee Jun-ho. So what is one swoon-worthy moment? Because there are many where this character is just too good to be true. I mean, for me, it was episode one. It was the revolving door waltz that I mentioned earlier. And basically, when when Young Woo gets to the law firm on her first day, there's a revolving door. And it's obviously something that she hasn't navigated before. And there is a rhythm to it, right? To getting in the revolving door and getting out. I mean, I've been using revolving doors for, you know, 40 plus years of my life. And I still have like a tiny little moment of anxiety right before I get in one (laughs) that I'm going to like choose the wrong time. So she's having trouble, you know, choosing the right timing. And he comes up, this stranger, and he's like, you know, here's what you do. And he starts like, you know, humming this sort of, what is like, Mm. like this, you know, this like waltz beat and helps her through. And they're kind of like dancing. And it is just lovely and gorgeous and like i said i was completely gone for junho after this it was super cute i agree with that that's a great scene so i'm gonna go actually with their kiss scene i just thought this was so well handled and i thought it was so true to both of their characters that he kind of waited for her to take the initiative and that they did it in a real really honest way because she didn't really know how their mouths would fit together and then they bash teeth and you know they had a little like kind of laugh together but then it was just such a really touching moment and I think it was so special because K-drama kisses are you know few and far between as it is but I think this is up there as one of the most unique unique ones where he's kind of really really gently kind of easing her into it and she's asking really earnestly like how do i kiss like how do we make this work and it's such a super super sweet scene Mm. i love it 
And for me, there was one that was just really just a short moment, but I loved it. And so she kind of would like peek on him a lot. And he was aware of that. (laughs) And there was a scene where he is talking like right outside of her office. And he knows she's this there, like kind of watching him on the other side of the curtain. And he puts his hand up on the glass, knowing that like, you know, then she puts her hand like over his hand with the glass separating them. And it was just such like a sweet moment of I don't know I mean this is why he bothers me so much as a character because I felt like there were times where I felt like you know he saw her and met her needs so well and then later you know he does not (laughs) and so this is the time where we're going to talk about what happens to Jun Ho's character in the back half of the drama like seriously what the hell and also did the cat analogy he gives in the finale work for you so Look, as a cat mama, I loved the cat analogy. You know, I thought it was sweet. Like, I have three cats. Okay, I'm a crazy cat lady. And cats do show love. They just show it differently and on their terms. And that's why I liked this. Like, I have a certain cat. If I'm sitting on the couch reclined, she will come and lay on my shins. She will not come any higher. And that's that's where she's comfortable. And that's she loves me from there. And if I try and pull her any closer, she's not having any of it. And so it is this idea of like being different doesn't mean that you're not, you know, expressing the same things. You just express it differently. And so I liked this analogy for how, you know, cats express love and how, you know, and how she might express love. I didn't love that Junho was basically a static character who only existed in the office or doing work related to the office, except for like the scene with his sister and Jeju and then in the bar with his friends. I also didn't appreciate some very uncharacteristic moves by Junho, which I do have to blame on the hasty writing. Like when they go to dinner with his sister, there's no way my Junho would have thrown Wu Young Wu into that situation with zero like accommodation, especially with the food. Like we all have our own food issues and sensory issues. There are certain things that I won't put in my mouth strictly due to texture, like cottage cheese. Like there should have been some gimbap there. Like why, you know, why not? And, you know, he could have just said to his sister, look, can you have some just in case? That was out of character for me. When CEO Bay and Chol, played by Kim Joo Hun, takes a cyanide pill and attempts suicide in the courtroom, all hell breaks loose. And we see Wu Young Woo standing off to the side trying to deal with, you know, the overstimulation of all the noise and all the uproar and the fear of witnessing somebody possibly die. At this point, she and Jun Ho are broken up and we see him looking at her like in agony, longing, wanting to be her, you know, quote unquote, hug chair because she needs the pressure hug. But he doesn't go to her. This is 100% against character. The Junho I know and love would have given her that pressure hug that she needed no matter what. Mm. And this is why it's teased out earlier in the episode with the car accident. Like, don't show us that image and then not give us the mirror later. And then later, you know, when Young Wu and her team are accosted by reporters outside the hospital, Weasley head lawyer Jong Sung Hun, played to perfection by Choi Dae-hoon, hops in the van with Junho and tells him to drive away and leave the team to the sharks. And Junho does. Nope. Nope, nope. He never would have done this. So hard agree with all of that, Amy. And in mm-hmm. fact, I'm yes, going to add to that list as well, because there's this montage where they go through their dates, where basically she's shown, like, comically, 
her being all all autistic quote marks and he's she's beating him at a game or she's dressing up to save dolphins and it just didn't sit well with me because we've seen early on Juno is really good at setting boundaries and explaining the rules of engagement like you know his hour of whale talk mm-hmm. but no whale talk outside of that hour and she loves knowing what that structure is she knows where her expectations are and then suddenly they date and he doesn't do any of these things and then he gets frustrated that she somehow doesn't instinctively get it and then we as the audience are kind of invited to find this funny I mean I, like I did love her rubbish picking that's um Brit talk for trash um picking outfit and I thought that was really funny but overall it really bothered me and also echoing Amy I, I just found like his backstory was blank and, and non-existent it's actually the most non-existent backstory of any male lead of any k-drama I've ever watched even though yeah, it's, it's totally true like who is he other than being nice and likable like who are his family why the hell does he live with Minwoo? What are his hobbies? What are his dreams? It's like a character sheet that you need to fill out when you're plotting a romance novel is totally blank and no one filled it out. But the freaking genius of it is we still absolutely adore him. So my question to you guys, romance writers, is why, when he seems to break these rules of character building and romance, do we love him so much, even though we know nothing about him? Conundrum. Because he, this is where the actor, the actor choices and the cast choices save the drama many times yep. <laughs> because at this point you're like look i just love kong tae and thereby i love this character and therefore somehow i'm just gonna like forgive it i mean for me i think this was really troublesome because well we'll get into this in a little bit how it's gonna have a second season it left me feeling a bit hollow honestly and, and I mean, like, I'm happy for the rep in that, that I think that, like, you know, folks should just take any rep they can get. Like, I was glad that, you know, an effort was made to, you know, try to tell different stories, um, even if, you know, it wasn't an own voices actor, you know, playing the role and things like that. You know, I feel like it's nice to see K-dramas beginning to, like, acknowledge that, you know, the world is made of a lot of different people, not just neurotypical cishet folks. And so I want to appreciate that. And I still want to be able to say, you know, when, okay, obviously, we know representation was shaky at times, but also, just coming from a pure story lens, they just buckled in the end. And that happens with K-drama sometimes. And I just, this is what happened in this one. So ultimately, like, you know, you all know what I think, like, I'm middling on this one. I think there were high highs and some low lows. <laughs> um, Sarah, do you think this drama was successful or not? I mean, yes, I think ultimately. It's been a drama that's really warmed people's hearts, as I said. And, and I love that it's entered the top 10 and that it's a drama as wholesome as this. So, it, you know, K-drama mm-hmm. doesn't need to be squid game violence. You know, it's really great to introduce a bigger audience to K-dramas and say, look, we're so much more than violence and depressing statements about capitalism ruining our society. Look here, we can yeah, do this is fair. big heart, we do feels, we do squads that work together. And as frustrating as some of the aspects of the portrayal of autism have been for me, it still has to be celebrated that she's not some side or comic character. She's the heart of this drama and she can be a love interest and people want to watch it. So hello, yes, it's 2022. It's a top 10 Netflix drama. It can be an East Asian actress with neurodiversity, experiencing a kiss and having a romance. She's got a huge brain. She's the heroine of this drama through her smarts. And that is a beautiful thing. So thank you, Netflix. 
And thank you, Sarah, because no, I feel like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with all of that. And that is why I think I would always wreck it because I think it's an important drama, even if like for me, I wasn't like clasping it to my chest in the end and running around. I do think it's a really important drama. Yeah, I agree. And and it is flawed, but it's just, it's so magic in the way that it makes you overcome it because it's so charming uh, and warm and, and like a, like a hug. It is. And if I could have stayed in the hug feeling and had uh, 50% less legal courtroom <laughs> and 50% more character backstory, I would be uh, running around and giving it a warm hug. You are so Megan with the hospital playlist. <laughs> it's a really but good it's analogy. true. I mean, like that was the time when we could have been fleshing out some of these backstories and we 100%. chose not to. True, true. Okay. So, Amy, do you think this drama deserves the second season it's rumored to be getting? I mean, I think based on everything that we're saying, it does because we've we've already said, like, it was so charming even with it being lacking. So I think with a second season, we can, like, I hope that the, you know, K-drama writing gods are listening and that we're going to get less law firm and more, you know, backstory. And not, I mean, I, I get that this was, Young Wu's journey, and we saw most everything from her point of view, and I'm happy for that, and I appreciate that. But we're like really just at the beginning. Like she's able to navigate her professional life. What is this relationship with Jun Ho really going to be like outside of running around town, you know, solving court cases together? Like that's really all we've seen of their relationship. So I want to see how they navigate real life together. I want to see who everybody is outside of the office because that informs who they are in the office. And we're missing a lot of that. So I think that there is a lot that they could do with the second season. And I hope that they don't disappoint if it does happen. Yeah. And I look, I'm giving it a wag of the finger that we're having a second season. I think we need it. And I think we didn't need it. And the reason we didn't need it is because we should have had 50% less (laughs) legal cases and flushed out the rest of the story and we would have been one season done perfect arc instead we have left lots of jibby jabbies hanging on that need to be reconciled and we have to limp into a second season well i mean here's hoping you know like many k dramas that are live are are written on the fly i don't think we mentioned that yet so when a drama is being written on the fly you're obviously going to change stuff as you go based on you know how some episodes go and stuff like that and that's a very hard thing to do and i i agree that being under a time crunch it's rough so i hope that there is time to flesh out some sort of a roadmap ahead of time and to hopefully stick to that roadmap for season two yeah, well, hopefully this is where Kang Teo's military service will actually play a positive role because they have to wait for him, right? So they've got the time. They're not going to have that commercial time pressure of get a season two out ASAP because they've got to wait for their male lead to finish his military service. So they've they've said already it's 2024, right? So that gives them some yeah. good time to to get their writing in, in a good place and they have to be doing this on-the-fly stuff. Because they got to treat Kang Teo as a new glow-up military <laughs> man. Yeah. Much so- better. I will be optimistic. <laughs> I'm not going to be negative. Because I mean, like I said, I'm sounding a little bit more like I'm negative about the drama than I am. I just, I really do feel like um, we sacrificed a lot of plot that didn't, and I've said my piece about that. So just as we close this one out, what 
is just one last thing you want to get off your chest. So one last thing I want to get off my chest was that the kidnapping episode was quite badly judged, in my opinion. So it's an example of how they kind of took an important issue. So here, the pressure of Korean parents and wanting their children to achieve and get grades is incredibly important, but not tackled like this. And like we're meant to believe that kids would suddenly have this all-consuming love for a man they spent just one afternoon with, and then we're supposed to cheer a kidnapper when they all hug him. It's just too much. And then the parents are all shown as ambitious, helicopter tiger Asian parents, like uh, yawn on mm-hmm. this stereotype. And then he gets to abduct children to a mountain and become a hero. Just like, no, no, hard no. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Agree. All right. Well, I think, you know, we were only halfway through our conversation on Extraordinary Attorney Wu. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much for you know, staying up late, even if you are a night owl to, (laughs) you know, lend your always great perspectives to this conversation. I feel like you definitely frame some things in a way that, you know, I knew, but now I feel like more, more appreciative. Absolutely. And so thank you very much for that. I was going to say it's given me better perspective and a better lens to sort of look back on the drama with. And, you know, I'm appreciative of you teaching us how to speak about autistic people with identity first and to not treat it as something that can be cured or they can get rid of. And that's all in how you say it. And I didn't know that. And now I do. And also just the fact that I think what really resonated with me was when you just kind of said, look, flawed or not, how amazing is it that, you know, Netflix is like a great kind of bellwether for, you know, what the world is watching and what people are motivated to see. How amazing is it, like you said, that we have a neurodivergent um, East Asian woman who is super smart and this is a not sexy, over-sexualized drama with a lot of like murder and anti-capitalism rhetoric or whatever else. I mean, not that I'm like, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, it is interesting to see something like this just really connecting with people all over the world in hearts and minds. And that's something that I think is worth celebrating. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always such fun to join you guys. So thanks for letting me on this one, which was one of my favorite dramas of 2022, actually, despite all its flaws. See, that's how charming it was, even with the flaws. So do not disappoint us season two. All right. Well, let's close it out and we'll see you all next week. So Sarah, you know what we say. Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T Com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!